We'll ask the Lord for his blessing now. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here. By your Holy Spirit, there's so much valuable insight here in this wonderful narrative, this account of Philip and the persecution and how the Holy Spirit is working. Uh, We want to be able to see those truths and put them into practice so that we could be blessed, not just hearers of the word, but doers. In Jesus' name, amen. On Sunday, January 8th, 1956, the shores of a lonely river deep in the jungles of Ecuador, five Christian missionaries were murdered by the natives they wanted to tell about Jesus. And I got a picture of three of those young men. Uh, The story of Jim Elliott and comrades, which so many are familiar with these days. Um, Jim was at seminary in Chicago, and he came across this, this uh, the uh, stat. <laughs> That's the word. It was such a small little word. The little uh, stat that said, one Christian worker for every 50,000 on the foreign field, and uh, one for every 500 in the U.S. And so that kind of touched his heart, and the Lord used that to to put a burden kind of similar to the Apostle Paul. Remember in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, you know, it's always been my ambition to preach Christ where he's not known and unnamed. And so uh, Jim was like that. And uh, the fresh face and the the countenance of the Holy Spirit on these young men, they went down to do just that. And they spent two years reaching out to unreached people groups, the Aka. And uh, translating the New Testament into Kachal, for two years they dropped gifts and care packages and all kinds of things to kind of prepare them for a visit, and they invited the natives to meet them there on the shores that day in January, and they came, and they came with their machetes and with their spears, and the five of them went home to be with the Lord. Uh, Interesting that Jim, the one on your right, told the other guys, do not use your weapons because we will blow them into a Christless eternity. If they kill us, we'll be with Jesus. They did not use their weapons. Now, as it's often said, though, tragic ends are often the beginning of new life with God. Thank you for that photograph. And, you know, God has a wonderful way of using tragedy, you know, for his redemptive good. And we see that all the time. We're going to see that this morning. You know, on the one hand, you could look at the whole thing and say, what a tragic waste, you know. Uh, Five lives cut short like that. Five widows. Five Uh, fatherless children, Uh, the evangelistic effort there in Ecuador, theirs at least, failed, right? That's what you can look at and say, hey, you know, the devil's really happy and evil has triumphed. End of story. No, there's no period there. When you say end of story in the Christian world, there's always a comma, and then we wait until we see what the Lord is going to do. How could anything good come of that? Well, I am so glad you asked that, because (laughs) we are going to see God bring good 
from that tragic situation. So, uh, just so you know, and if you have not seen The End of the Spear, that is a film adaptation of this wonderful story. It is incredible. Missionaries go back, including the wife of Jim Elliott, with the babies, to minister to the guys who murdered their daddy. Forgiveness and love, entire tribes convert to Christ and begin sending missionaries. You've got to see end of the sphere. It's unbelievable. Goosebumps just talking about it. Well, listen, it wasn't a waste. It was an investment. You know that saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Uh, by the way, second century church father Tertullian said that. And in this case, and here in Acts chapter 6, 7, and eight, we're going to see the truth of that because the blood that is shed as a seed is the martyr Stephen, the first deacon, the guy who volunteered to help in the kitchen, you know, to help out in a problem with the widows and the food ministry back there, ends up being the first uh, martyr. And so we're going to give you a little context here. How many of you missed last week, so you need a little context? Where were you? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Now, the first service, I got to give it up for them because they're on to me and that kind of question. And so they already know I'm going to say, well, where were you? So I said, anybody miss it last week? No hands. <laughs> I'm like, you're on to me, aren't you? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I know, women's retreat, I heard that. Very good from some of the guys. They're like, women's retreat. No, I don't think so. Uh, okay, so here's the context so that we can pick up in verse 1. Stephen, one of those shiny-eyed, fresh-faced, just one of those innocent, born-again, wonderful young men with a servant's heart that everybody loves. He's got a great reputation. That's what landed him, the, the honor of being the one who would, uh, one of seven who would help back with the big problem in the food pantry and uh, serving and sharing the gospel wherever he went, you know, and then the Lord started uh, expanding his ministry. And he was given the ability to do these supernatural signs that accompanied the word of the gospel. Well, this enraged some local religious Jews who were in a synagogue nearby, and they decided to hold a debate. And so Stephen kind of got drug into it, and they started this great debate. Um, and Stephen delivered the best sermon of his life. In fact, it's the longest, most detailed sermon in the Bible. Here's this guy who just wanted to help in the kitchen. And the Lord expanded him, because when you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And so the Lord said, this is a guy who's good when no eyes are on him. So let's bring him out into public because he's trusted when nobody's watching, he'll be trusted when everybody's watching. And so there he was. He, he humiliated them in the debate so bad they had nothing to say. And so they got mad and angry. They made up stuff. And they hauled him before the high court called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, where you could get killed, which eventually happened. And hauled him there. Uh, and then he ended up preaching the best sermon of his life, which, of course, leads to his death. 
They, they rush at him like wild animals after he finished his closing remarks. They covered their ears and they drug him outside of the city just like the Lord Jesus, but only this method was not Roman, it was Jewish. The Jewish way of executing was that death by stoning. And so uh, they took turns and Stephen went home to be with the Lord. They dust their hands off and they say, so much for you and your debating skills and your Jesus. Done, period. It was a comma. It was a comma. And Saul was there. Verse one, ready? Reading. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, that's a good thing to underline, because everything that follows is now being tied to Stephen's death with those three words, on that day, right? A great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the word havoc, to wreak havoc, that on the church, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and threw them into prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Let's pause there. We are gonna make it through until, Lord willing, verse 25. So this gets the story rolling. A couple of redemptive things to start, excuse me, to start our passage. If you're taking notes, uh, first of all, a little too much white out. First of all, (laughs) Saul's personal crusade against the church, and number two, a a church-wide persecution. Now, these are two things that are redemptive, meaning God is going to take two terrible things and and make them into something beautiful and good. Now, uh, first of all, let's take a look at uh, Saul the Pharisee going off the deep end, all right? Now, Saul the Pharisee is going to become Paul the Apostle, the writer of 13 New Testament books, the greatest Christian evangelist by far that any human being that ever lives. But right now, he's undercover as a snarling, mean-spirited murderer of the Christian movement and people therein. And so, first of all, let's look at the Pharisee that goes berserk. Now, your text says Saul began to destroy. The word in the Greek there uh, means to tear like a wild animal. King James has it right, to wreak havoc. He was snarling. The Lord calls him a brute beast when he says, talks to him in Acts chapter 9. And so uh, he's an obsessive animal, the word lumino, to shred to pieces, to mangle its prey. And in verse uh, one of Acts chapter nine, we hear Paul is breathing out murderous threats. Now, how can this be redemptive? Ah, don't you see it? Paul's getting close. You know, listen, 
Outward behavior is not always a valid measure of what's going on inside a person, especially the louder they object, and sometimes the more violently, the reason that you have to suspect that they're very close to conversion. Because we're, folks, we're only one chapter out from Paul the Apostle praising Jesus encouraging the church and going into synagogues and to preach the gospel and about Christ, uh, the very things he once tried and lived to destroy. We're only one chapter away. Would you ever know that? Well, yeah, if you're thinking, because just like the doctor, the doctor finds out when he gets to the root of the problem when the patient jumps in pain (laughs) or cries out, right? I mean, does it hurt here? Nope. Does it hurt here? What about when I talk, ah, oh, we're getting close. He's getting nearer, not further. People say, oh, look at Saul. He'll never in a million years. He's over here. No, he's not over here. He's over here. It's right there, the root of the problem. That's why you got a response. What was the response? He's looking, and Saul was there. You know what that means? He saw the glow on the face. He heard the wisdom that God gave this man. He was there for the 50-verse unbelievable sermon of the panoramic view of the Old Testament survey done as masterfully as ever. He was there when he cries out, don't hold this sin against them. You mean sin? We're ridding the earth. We're doing a good thing. Like Jesus said, those who kill you will be thinking they're doing a service to God. That's what Paul's seeking. And then he hears this angelic voice. Oh, Lord, don't hold this sin. 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 I never thought about it as sin. Yeah. Does it hurt when we touch here? Yeah. It hurts like somebody's going to die. It hurts. Kind of pain. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by outward behavior, big, explosive words and violence. Oh, no, there. You've scored. You've got it in there. You're right there. You just got to wait. You know, what is it? You know, 40 more verses. And that guy or that gal could really be uh, one of us. Honestly, that's how easy it is. What's he, he's unnerved. He's convicted. He's unraveled. Uh, he's panicking. You know, he goes and he's trying to stop this movement because, listen, his life, his status quo, everything he's lived for will have to die and change if this Jesus is alive. So the, the crux of Paul's anger is not against the person or even the message. It, it's to defend his own power to keep living as he wants to live. That's what's driving the guy to to kill people. It's like, kill you in this message, or it's going to kill me. Welcome, Paul, to Christian 1A theology. He who saves his life shall lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's what we all, everybody in this room can feel that terror of realizing if this is true, all of this is gone. All of it's a waste. Everything I stand for, everything I love to do, all gone, traded in for this new life. I don't even know what to expect. I don't even know if I'll like it. 
So I'm going to be really mad about it and push and push and kill and cuss and swear. Listen, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, when I was 18 and 19 years old, I was the one persecuting Christians. I, I harangued them. I harassed them. Me and my buddies on the street corners, we walked by the street evangelists. They'd be passing out Bibles. I'm 19 years old at the time. Passing out tracts. Does it hurt here? Nope. Does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt when I give you a little Bible track? Yeah, it hurts. So you're all going to pay for it. So I would find ways to ridicule them. I would ask the questions that people ask that have hard answers. What about this in the Old Testament? Yeah, it's against a lot of shrimp. Yeah, so maybe we all do. We shrimp. You know, that's the kind of guy, and those are the kinds of questions that I would bring up and make laughing stocks out of them. That's how I treated you. And look what happened. <laughs> I don't even know how this happened. And now I'm up here, and I, now they're telling me those things. But just, you know what? It was only a matter of time from all that big huff and puff to when I walked in that hotel room with my mother and father and said, I am a born-again Christian. I went from screaming and haranguing and harassing and profanity and hatred to I'm one of them. It was beautiful. <laughs> you know any songs? No, seriously. You know anybody breathing out profane, terrible things right now? Anybody like that giving your heartache? How could they say such things? Militant atheists, we raised him in the church, and he's a militant atheist. He's not just an atheist. He's out for blood. Like our good buddy, Saul the Pharisee. How many verses is your Saul who's screaming bloody murder? How many short little verses is he from a smackdown? <laughs> Verse 9, the smackdown. At noon, sun high in the sky, and a voice from heaven. Saul, can we have a conversation? <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Point number two. It's not just Paul's personal crusade. It's on that day, a big persecution, great persecution. The word is megas in the Greek, coming from our word mega persecution broke out against the entire church. Right now, there's only one church in the whole world, and it meets at Jerusalem. There's about 10,000 people. One church on the earth, that's it, right? And now there's persecution by the religious Supreme Court against. And you know what happened? I kind of, I was flipping through the channels the other night, and I saw some fishing show. They're deep sea fishing, and they were chumming the waters. I think it's against the law of some areas, but it wasn't apparently <laughs> on this show, and they're chumming the waters with, with um, crushed up fish bait, but a lot of blood. They're chumming the waters. It gets all the sharks all excited, and they smell a little blood in the water, and they start coming. The devil chums the waters with this young man. His blood sprinkled it in there and said, listen, we finally went past the threshold. We killed the founder, yeah. But now he killed one of the followers. Let's just kill them all. So a great persecution, the entire church, thousands of born-again Christians like you and me fled for their lives. 
That's what was going on. Interesting word in the Greek that they were scattered. Two words in the Greek for scattered. One means to scatter to make go away. In other words, you scatter someone's ashes. The other word that used here, diaspora, dia, to scatter, spora, seed, to plant. The devil's chasing, God is planting. He's planting the church where he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is my will for you, that you start in Jerusalem, but you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's what he wanted. He wanted the church to grow. It's been five to seven years since the day of Pentecost. What's up, church? Oh, we're just loving each other. We're devoted to the apostles' uh, teaching. Nobody's in need here. Everything's going well. We're growing. There's miracle signs and wonders. If somebody does have a need, somebody will sell a piece of property. We, we have giving. We have finances. We're in our comfort zone. We're cool. We're growing. The Lord is adding to the church. What's up? What's wrong? What you got a problem with? The problem is, that's not what I asked you to do. The problem is, I, I asked you to be my witnesses. Okay, you did a good job. Now time to up and go. We don't want to up and go. We're cozy and comfort right here. A great persecution came to make things a little uncomfortable. God's little pinchers to get us to do and go and say and comply to where he intended us to go. They all knew where they needed to go. The Holy Spirit's reminding them they didn't want to do it. All right, so we're going to use Stephen's death on that day to go ahead and use pinchers. Need I even say this? Raise your hand if God has ever had to turn up the heat a little bit to get you to do something you really didn't want to do. Everybody in the building, raise your hand. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's how, what's going on here. So the pinchers come out. You can turn the, the lights back on just so I'm able to see my notes. <laughs> Notice in your text, everyone except the leaders were scattered, and notice what happens. Everyone's preaching the gospel. Now, wait a second here. All the pastors are, are, are manning the posts as they should. Hey, we're not going anywhere, right? We've got to take care of the few straggles, the stragglers that remain. Who's preaching the gospel? Everyone else. Who's everyone else? The lay person. What do I mean by lay person? All that means is the non-professional. The person doesn't get paid to do it. The person who's not necessarily trained to do it. Who's preaching the gospel? I love what John Stott, who's a dynamic commentator, ever looking for a good book? John Stott, all right? Here's what he said. The statement that these people preach the word is a little misleading. The Greek expression does not necessarily mean more than sharing the good news. Kind of like the Samaritan woman. All she did was say, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I mean, he didn't know I had five husbands. He saw, hey, lady, yeah, what you just told me is right. You're living with some guy. He's not your husband, but you have had five husbands. So when you said, you know, you don't have a husband, you're absolutely right. Come meet a guy. Is this the, is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? And it says, on account of the word of the woman, the whole village came. So, so they have been sort of prepared for Philip's arrival through the ministry of Jesus planting seeds like that. 
But just, you know, I can't tell you, folks, how many times I'll have this dynamic conversation about faith with somebody. And, and I'm like, I got the Bible verses, and I, I got them kind of thinking and cornered and get them right to the door. And then they find out I'm a pastor. And then they roll their eyes and say, oh, you're a pastor. You know what they, they're saying? They're saying, this is your job to do this. Oh, no wonder you know the scriptures. Oh, no wonder that's all you wanted to talk about. They dismiss the whole thing to their own peril, but they dismiss a lot. When you, you're just an average person, like I, I am just you, I am the same thing. I just went to school, and I, I talk a lot. <laughs> uh, that's the only difference. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you can do a great job. How many of you were led to the Lord by a non-pastor, non-evangelist, just a friend or a family member? Raise your hand nice and high. Look around. It's all on you. Amen? <laughs> I told you, there you go. It's all on us together. It's certainly not on the pastors. And so the two things we've already seen, this crazy man going berserk is on now a collision course to becoming the best Christian missionary ever lived. So check, because of Stephen's death, check. The entire church is being scattered. There are church planted, church planted everywhere, all over the place. I just love the scripture where Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I'm in jail, but what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. So this looks terrible on the outside, but God's kingdom is growing. Then at the end of Romans, he says, oh, and by the way, all the believers in Caesar's household send you greetings. Ah, I wonder how they heard the gospel because Paul was imprisoned there and he led them to the Lord. So he said, hey, start looking at some of your troubles the way God sees them, ways to advance his cause. So a personal crusade has been launched, a church-wide persecution, and a city receives joy. And those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. Philip goes down to a city in Samaria, proclaims Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid such close attention to what he said. Shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So Peter, um, um, Philip rather, is evangelizing. So just as an aside, Whenever you see in the scriptures the word preach or evangelism or good news or gospel, it's all from the same word. It all means the same thing. In Greek, the word evangelism comes from euangelizo, which just means good news. God, gospel comes from the old English word God spell, God good spell news. The whole thing is good news. Now, once you're over the initial slap in the face of Christianity, then it's good news from there. Amen? Amen. The slap meaning you're a sinner, you fall short. Nothing you can do can please God in yourself. Your best effort is like a smelly, filthy, dirty diaper in God's sight. Sorry. It is actually that way in the Hebrew. 
So once you pass the slap, then you hear about a God of eternal love and eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and there's nothing but good news. Good news comes to Samaria that we see Philip is sent. Of course, he had to be sent. Faith comes from hearing the gospel. So how can anyone believe in the one they haven't heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Peter is being helped by this church to go to China. He's being sent so that he can minister as the word uh, commands of us. Okay, so surprise again. Uh, Here's Philip, one of the seven deacons, and he's sent out to a very unlikely place. Philip is sent to Samaria. Now, God really knows what he's doing in sending this one guy. He's a Greek speaker. He's not a native-born Jew. He's a Jew. His mother is Jewish, his father is Jewish. He's a real Jew, but he didn't grow up in Israel. He grew up abroad, and he came home to Jerusalem. He doesn't even speak Hebrew. He speaks Greek, the international language. Perfect choice to send to Samaria, where the Jews and the Samaritans have 600 years of fighting and hating one another. And so instead of sending a Jew Jew, they sent <laughs> a Jew Jew, they, they, they send, uh, God rather, sends the Greek speaker. Now, uh, say, how did the Samaritans end up being the Samaritans? You know, you asked some really good questions on Sunday morning, <laughs> and I love it. Now listen, the Assyrians, 600 years prior, came in and said, we're going to wipe out the Jews. Here's how we're going to do it. We'll take them all and take them away. And then we'll bring in non-Jews. We'll repopulate northern Israel with non-Jews. And you won't have Jews anymore because they're such a homogeneous race. The Jews only. They only marry Jews. We'll show them. We'll take them all away and we'll put in pagans. And those pagans settled with the few Jews that remained and formed Samaria. Samaria is a hybrid mix of Judaism and paganism. They had their own rival temple on Mount Gerizim. They had their own laws, their own custom, their own language. But they still considered themselves the people of God. Jews, however, thought of them as, I'm sorry, mongrels, compromised. They wouldn't speak to them. That's why in John 4, When Jesus pulls up at the well, he's tired, he sits down, there's a Samaritan woman, and the Lord says, hey, uh, would you mind giving me some of that water? And she says, excuse me, you're a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you even talking to me? They weren't on speaking terms. There's a big deal going on here. Do you remember James and uh, John? They got the nickname Thunderboy. Listen. (laughs) And from this incident on, they, they all called them Thunderboy, all right? Here's what they did. The Jews were trying, uh, Jesus and the disciples were trying to get to Jerusalem. They had to pass through Samaritan territory. The Samaritans said, you know what? We're sick of you guys. Go around. It's going to cost us 25 miles. Go around. What about go around? Do you not understand? And John and his brother James says, Lord, Want us to call down fire and incinerate them? (laughs) And the Lord says, I don't know what I have in common with you two. Uh, Seriously? Now look at this. John, I'm I'm getting ahead, but John is going to be in Samaria 
not calling down fire, John, but calling down life and spirit. Not to destroy John, but to give life. Just wonderful. So God has this perfect tool. So what happens? He shows up and they go, yeah, yeah, we've heard it from you Jews. Listen. He says, Philip says, I'm a Greek speaker. I'm a second class Jew. I know what it's like. In fact, my grandma, just a few months ago, they were overlooking her. They said, oh, you're not a Hebrew Jew. And so we know, we Greek speaking Jews, we, we feel your pain. They treat us that way. So I can understand now. Then they'll suddenly excuse what do you have to say now? Ah, oh, you, you know our pain. Yeah. God will take your pain and your injury and your bumps and bruises in life. If you allow it, will be a beautiful bridge of relatability and credibility for you to be able to say, hey, know how that feels? Been there, done that. Listen, let me now tell you about the one who helped me through that. How many times somebody will say, oh, well, man, you don't know what it's like to have cancer. Yeah, I do. You, you don't know what it's like, you know. I don't even, I look in the mirror, I don't recognize myself from the chemotherapy. Let me tell you how I felt during my one year time of chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant. It just, whew, did I ever think, oh, this is such a good thing. Oh, chemotherapy, yeah, <laughs> you know? But you know what? It brought me into a place of understanding and credibility and sympathy and open doors to where I could use the terrible thing that every time I even hear the word lymphoma, it's like, oh, I forgot about that. But it was life. People came to know the Lord. I led people to the Lord from a deathbed next to some guy who was just on the edge himself. Because there was relatability. So God has the perfect tool for the perfect problem. The perfect problem was Samaria. The perfect tool was a Jew who could relate to the snobbery of the purest Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, Peter, Peter's not ready. You know he keeps a kosher house until Acts 11? He's still kosher. He's not eating no pork chops. I'm sorry. <laughs> not yet. It takes him a while to get ease into the bacon. <laughs> and praise the Lord, it seems like he did finally get to, to enjoy that heaven while on earth. So talk about credibility. Man, alive. Uh, God gave him the ability to do signs and wonders. And so where you have a gospel, listen, you got to have power. If you don't have power, you don't have the gospel. So if you're at a church and everybody's still in their sinful state and there's a lot of infighting and, and, and carnality, if nobody's getting baptized and marriages aren't getting healed and lives aren't being turned around, get out because you don't have the real thing. The gospel comes with power. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power. It is the dunamis in the Greek. So, of course, God gave him the, the power to see changed lives. And not just words, 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 but changes were being made there. 
Now, a wonderful story to finish up. We will read till 25, because there's a story in the story. So just a little window of what was going on in Samaria, very interesting. And, and so we've got, let's just back up, personal crusade was launched, a church-wide persecution was sparked, a city received the good news, and now a sorcerer believes. Ah, this is going to be fun. Now, verse 9 to 25, and we'll be done. Now, for some time there in Samaria, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed, underline, all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, from the least to the greatest, gave him their attention and, underline, exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. (laughs) They followed him because he had, underline, amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. These are Simon's former customers, all right? Keep that in mind. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon a good underline, any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart for I see you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you said will ever happen to me. <laughs> Wah. 25. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, interesting, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, but preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. All right, let's talk about this. Great stuff, the story in the story especially. Well, uh, Philip proclaimed Christ, but Simon proclaimed counterfeit. And there always is a fake. You know the word antichrist can mean against Christ or it can mean instead of Christ. And in this case, it means instead of Christ. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard there, there, that the antichrist is coming, even now there are many antichrists have, who have come, this is how we know it's the last hour. So who was Simon? Simon was a psychic, all right? He was the go-to guy. He, he kind of 
headed up the Church of Spiritual Living, all right? And so he was the head of the occult practices for that region. Now, now Simon had quite the reputation. Please note, it's not real clear in the NIV, but he's, it doesn't say he has great power. They exclaimed, he is the great power of God, all right? In the Greek, it's megas, dynamis, theos. Great power, God, is, he is that. Doesn't use it, he is that. What is sorcery? Again, an excellent question. The seeking of spiritual wisdom, guidance, or power from the realm of the supernatural in any form outside of the living God as he is revealed through the scriptures and in the person of our Lord Jesus. All such seeking is sinning in the attempt to usurp or go around God for the benefits only he has the right to provide. So call it what you want. They all mean the same thing. Psychic, fortune teller, medium, you know, uh, witchcraft, astrology. Yeah, astrology. That tells you who you are. Oh, I'm a Leo. That means, let me define who the power that is telling me who I am. This is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I do. Oh, and let me tell you, by looking at this, I can tell you what's gonna happen in the future. There's only one person who can tell you who you are, what you need, where you need to be at a certain time, and what's gonna happen to you. That is God Almighty. And anything around him, around him in the way of bypassing him, is called sorcery. You know, folks, I could give you a gabillion references of why sorcery and psychic is all psycho. But <laughs> let me just give you one. Because I think in the one, I think you won't need the others. In the list of those who line up to get thrown into the eternal lake of fire, there's a list of lifestyles. And one of them, right in the middle, is sorcerers, the magic arts, the occult because it goes on big time. It always has been, it always is, and it always will be until the lake of fire. And they all go in, all of them, even Harry Potter. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is he? Sorcerer. Sorry, mom and dad, but seriously. All right, now, there, were, uh, there was power. Twice the word amazed. In the Greek, the word amazed means to be knocked out of yourself. So you know how we say, I was beside myself? Uh, that's where it comes from, all right? So in other words, they saw what he was doing. It was real enough for them to be divided from their own sanity. What I'm seeing, I, pff, it, they're amazed. From the least to the greatest, they all said, that's God. That is God. Who can do stuff like that? Well, look what happened. And he loved it. Simon loved every minute of it. Oh, he said, you know, I'm someone great. Uh, I, I can roll my eyes back and start to twitch, and then I say, you know, I see dead people, or, <laughs> or whatever it is they say, you know, I can see in the future, I can tell this about you, or, uh, you know, does a green palm tree with a sign hanging on it mean anything to you? <gasps> right? That's the kind of stuff he was doing. Darn. All Simon's clients were defecting. They heard the real thing. 
They saw the genuine article and they said, it's cleaner, it has truth, there's substance, and it's satisfying me. I'm, I'm going this way. Goodbye, Simon. Hello, Jesus and Philip and everybody else. And Philip went to check it out. And so that's what it says. He checked it out and he sa- it says he w- became a believer. Well, it says he believed. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled. What does this mean? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't look good. I vote that he was just superficially interested and he believed several things. He believed, this is legit. Oh, that guy's legit. That's real power. I believe that. I believe what he's saying is true. He believed. A lot of stuff you can believe. That devil believes and it's not going to be good for him. That's quoted from James. Even the demons believe and shudder. So he believed, yeah, but who comes up out of a baptism uh, with a heart full of bitterness and captive to sin? And then the pastor says, before you even dry off, you need to repent and see if God will forgive you for the wickedness that fills your heart? I don't think so. That's cart before the horse. All of that should have come first. But it says he, he professed faith. 86% of your country says, we profess faith, we believe. They believe there is a God. They believe in heaven and hell. They believe in the life to come. That's what they mean. But to believe there is a God is not believing in God. One saves you, the latter. The former just informs you. It will never save you. Think whatever you want about God. It's trusting in him and having the Holy Spirit come in. So, you know, he's all agog about the miracles, miracles, miracles. He's following him around after he comes up out of baptism, you know, like a little puppy infatuated there. But notice, and here's, here's what he says that doesn't look good, you know. He says, I want to buy the same kind of power that you have. I'm not interested in the power myself. I just want to control that power and give that power to whoever I wish so that they will turn and look to me with the same adoration, admiration and adoration and respect that you all look to Peter with. I can see you're in bitterness, he says. Envy, you're jealous, you're jealous of us. So what's motivating you to fork out the bucks, it says, I want to be one of you guys. I'm going to give you money. I, I want to be able to do that and have people go, because everybody left me. They left me and they're with you. And I used to have all of that adulation. Oh, he's the power of God. He's done good. Oh, you got a problem? Go see Simon. I lost all of that. And now you guys have it. Listen, I'll give you a good wage if you just let me have that back again. That happens in ministry. It's called simony. To use wealth or influence to get where you want in the church. Popes were bidding for the office of Pope. And it's not just in Catholicism. It happens in born-again circles. I was with a pastor at lunch a long time ago. He said, Ross, I've got a problem. These checks have been coming in significant numbers from somebody in the congregation, and in the memo line, at first I didn't understand it, in the memo line it said, John's salvation. And then I got another one that said, Mary's healing. And then I got another one, and I started to get it. This person is writing a check and tying that 
to what she wants from God. So they had a talk. Where'd you learn how to do that? What are you doing? I'm planting the seed of faith and I'm giving with all my heart in a sacrifice and this is what I'm linking it to and it helps me to stay focused. Simony. Criminy, Simony. (laughs) Dear Lord in heaven, if I give this much, then you will give me this. Now listen, bitterness happens in the church too. Listen, about this same thing but it only happens in two areas, teaching and preaching. In other areas, you don't have this kind of, what do they think they're doing? They think think they're the only ones who can make coffee and clean up and empty the trash. You know what? I can make coffee too, all right? You know, has anybody seen the way I take trash out? Hi, hey, have you ever seen me set up tables? Hello, there are other people around here who can set up tables, take out the trash and do the coffee and clean the parking lot. I don't know what that church is thinking. Ah, you never hear that. You never hear that. But there are two areas you do hear that in. Preaching, teaching, and music. Those are the areas that you do hear because there's envy and jealousy. That's why. You're going to have calling. It's got to be God. Manipulate your way anywhere in the church. That's what this guy's all about. I want people to see me again. I lost all the applause, all, the, all, all of that. I got my living that way. It made me happy inside. People looked at me with respect. I need that back again. And I'm seriously going to will to pay it. He said, and another good sign that that faith wasn't saving faith, may your money perish with you and perhaps the Lord will forgive you. And the thing about it is, in the final, I think, the death blow to that fake faith of his is this. Pray to me, pray, pray, you pray for me that nothing you said about perishing will happen to me. Only concern about what? Consequences. I just told you, you are a wicked, jealous, bitterly captive to sin, miserable human being. And you say, you told me to repent? And he said, you pray to the Lord. Simon, you pray to the Lord. You get right with God. You repent of your sins. And he says, you pray for me that no bad things will happen to me. How about you pray for me that I can repent and change and desire to want to be like that for humility instead of pride and for fearing the Lord instead of just loving the praise of men. Oh, no, no, no. Do you know how many times I, say, <laughs> I meet unbelievers, talk to them, you know, they'll do a favor for me or the church, and they'll say, hey, you know what? I just want you to put in a good word for me. <laughs> I just feel like someone just went, <clears throat> and I just say to them, sir, I will put in a good word for you, and I'm willing to do it right now. In fact, let's pray. Dear Lord. <laughs> I do do that, but no one ever will end up in eternal life through the prayer from other lips. You will have to be born in your own heart. None of this, you pray for me. You know, there's movements and Christian movements where it's all about the other person praying for you on your birthday, praying for you. It had to have come in this life while you were breathing out of your mouth. If you confess to your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Not your mother, 
not your father, not your sister, not your brother. This better be in you, and it better be coming out of your heart, or you're going to be lost forever. Make sure this is your faith, not pray for me, pastor, and none of the bad things will ever happen to me. Pray for yourself, and I will pray for you. Amen? Now, the story and the story, I'll just sum it up because we're out of time. Uh, Now, the leaders find out. The Samaritans are getting saved. Can you believe this? What? We've got to come down and eyeball this for ourselves. So who comes down? Peter and John. Awesome. Peter and John come down. Now, they notice something. The Holy Spirit, three relationships with him. Let's show that. John 14, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come and he will be with you. Para. He says, not only will he be with you, he will be in you. N. E-N. Acts 1.8. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. A P. One and two had happened to the Samaritans. No one gets saved and baptized without one and two. It happened. There's a number three. It's an empowerment. It's a filling. It's where manifest gifts are seen. We don't know what happened, but when Simon, quote, saw this, they laid their hands on them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I would say, receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Something, Simon, when Simon saw this, ah, we don't know what he saw. Did he see tongues? Perhaps. Did he see prophesying? Perhaps. Did he see people praying in other languages or, or evangelizing like in 1.8 or, or chapter 2? Perhaps. But it's the overflow of the gifts. And the way you know you have the third Usually you have some sort of victory in your life. You have more productivity than failure. You have more strength than weakness. Everybody is, is depraved and very weak, and we're all flawed. But the person who has the fullness of the Spirit, the epi, that you can always pray for, Ephesians tell us, be filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. So why did, this is the best part, Why did the Lord prevent Philip from being able to lay his hands on and and see the gifts of the Spirit manifest? Because we need the Jews. We need the Hebrew boys to come and see these guys are brothers and sisters in the law, equal to the Hebrew Jews in every way. Not the Greek-speaking Jews, the Samaritan dogs. Do you know how bad it was? Don't you remember in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees are embroiled with Jesus? They say, aren't we right in saying you are demon-possessed and that's not all. You're a Samaritan. (laughs) Two words. You're demon-possessed. And you know what? I'm going to top this off with a big one. You're a Samaritan. (laughs) So he brings the two boys who have heard all of that their whole lives for 600 years. It's them. He brings them and says, I'm going to delay something. Pray for them. Watch this. Boom. Whoa. That's the same gift I have. Yeah. You know why? It's the same Lord. It's the same church. One church. Not two little churches. So why did he do this? He did it for the Jews, the the Hebrew Christians who could say, you know what, no more calling them second-class citizens. It's going to come to a head in Acts 10. It's still not over for Peter. Peter doesn't get it. He's connecting some dots. But in Acts 10, it's going to be a full-blown thing at Cornelius' house where he gets it. 
And he did it for the poor Samaritans. 600 years, we're the losers. We're the second class guys. We're the dogs they hate. And now they saw, hey, we ain't no dogs anymore. We're one with Peter, James, and John. One with Peter, James, and John. That's why there's a delay. And that's why the Greek speaker couldn't do it. We needed the head of the church to go back, Peter, go back and say, guess what, guys? Stop with the attitudes about the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Because once they open their heart to God, they're in. No strings attached. They're in. They're in every way, just like us. Who's your Samaritan? We all got them. The ones we prefer not to tell about the love of Jesus because we don't like them very much because they're offensive. They do rude things. You know the job description of a sinner? (laughs) To sin, (laughs) right? That's what they do. So some of them do it way better than others and way more annoying than others. Who's doing that for you? Once they come to Christ, reach out to them in love. Be relatable, incredible. Reach out to them and let the Holy Spirit change them. And they, they go from being Samaritans, militant atheists. They go from that to brothers in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these just tremendous truths that are really give us pause to wonder and think deeply about such things. Guide us by your powerful Holy Spirit. Bring these points home. Lord, we're so stubborn and so set in our ways. It just takes the jackhammer of the Holy Spirit to really loosen our grip on some of these things and open us up and cause us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand. Closing song. For God causes all things to work together for, for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. Please, as you are dismissed, remember, the worst thing that's ever happened to you can be the cause of great blessing. Stop looking at the weakness and the bumps and the bruises and the certain struggles as terrible and unredeemable. They're redeemable. God's working in you and those around you. He's doing a fantastic thing. Can't see it all now. Takes a little while from the blood on the beaches in Ecuador there for us to realize all the good that's going to come from a mishap. So have hope and confidence and joy and be at peace with whatever the thing is that nags you because God has his ways. He's got his eye on that thing. That thing can bring a smile to his face and a smile to yours someday. Maybe not in this life even. In the life to come, you'll see how it honored and served you, unbeknownst to you. Dear Father, we thank you. That's the hardest thing of all for us, God, is when these bad things happen and we just think everything's gone wrong. And yet your word just shows us that it's not always going to be perfect, but we've got a redeemer who walks us through these things and then uses all of our weaknesses and all of these hurtful things for good, somehow, some way. Help us be open. Help us to be more at peace 
and more cooperative with you, especially in such areas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.